an interesting juncture in our study or in our walk through our church series. We're coming to the end, end of a couple of things. We've been in a series now in the book of Revelation for this month, and so we're coming to the end of that series. Today will be our final uh, talk in that series. But we've also been on a journey as a church for the last approximately nine months. We started in September of last year, and we started a journey through the story. And we use this book, obviously, as, as kind of our guide, but it, it literally is, was the chronological uh, display of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And so we've been in this journey now for nine months. We've learned a lot of things. We've been reminded of several things. I hope it's been a good journey for you. I think it, today we want to talk about that in celebration. I want to thank you for those of you who have joined us. Some of you have been with us through the whole journey. Some of you come along later on in the journey. But I, I just want to say congratulations because I think this is, this is a major milestone to take this many months and just focus on what we did. So here's all I can do. Turn to the person next to you and say, congratulations, we did it. Tell them. You just tell somebody close to you, you know, good job. Yeah, I see a fist, fist bumper here, here too. That's fantastic stuff, all right? That's good. This is what, this is what we've been studying is just from, from beginning, get an overview of what God wants us to know from, from his scriptures. And I hope that's been a good, a good study for you. Um, next Sunday, as Carlos mentioned, um, that's, this is one of my favorite Sundays in all of the year when we come together and it's, it's a youth takeover. They get a chance to just share what they've learned at camp over the last couple of weeks and you're going to hit, get to hear some of their life-changing experiences and you don't want to miss it. In fact, you want to bring somebody with you next week. They're going to enjoy what God has, has done through our teenagers. So I hope you'll be a, a part of that. So this morning, as we wrap up this particular part of what God has, has done for us, what we know is we've considered now the Bible from beginning to end for the last nine months. Seems like a long time. But here's what we figured out. If you haven't noticed already, we really haven't even scratched the surface of what is in the Scriptures. I mean, we could start over tomorrow, do the same thing over again, and repeat that, repeat that, and repeat that. And every time, we'd either hear a new story that we didn't hear the first time. We could repeat it all and never tell the same story. Or uh, even if we did tell the same story, you could learn something totally different. That's the nature of God's Word. It's just, it's that part of, it's that real. It's, it's called the living for, for a very specific reason. One of my hopes is through this study that some of you have been reminded or refreshed, even just in your energy, of how important this word really is, because it really can have that kind of impact in your life. So we, we've had an incredible journey. We've learned a lot of things. But one thing that we have come very clear in, in my mind, and I hope it is in yours, is that this is more than just a book of stories. It's not just a collection of random events historical and, and bizarre, whatever, however you want to list some of them. It's more than just a collection of, uh, of stories. There is a, an, an, a theme, there is a word, there is something that's being told through this whole book that, that God has in mind for us. Here's one way we've described it. One, we've put it in three different forms. One is the upper story, and that's the story of God. That's God's sovereign work. That's what he is doing, and, and that nothing's going to stop God's work. And, and the Bible is, is a revelation of many of what God, what we know is God's story. But then where we live is the lower story. That's the human experience. That's the part of daily walk that we are. And the Bible is literally a, an understanding of how God's story intersects with, with the story of man. And that's where, where we find ourselves, where we live. So that's part of what we know from the story. What we also know is this theme is, 
that God has through the story is trying to teach us something. And as we come to the end today, I think we're going to see, uh, even in looking back and as we take a final look at the book of Revelation, kind of where God was going. What the point of actually putting this story in a form that we could have it and continue to read it. There is a, a purpose, a theme behind everything that God had in mind. The very first week, I want to take you back there. It would be September 18, 2016. Some of you can't remember last week, so I know you're going to have trouble remembering that far back. So let me refresh your memories, okay? In that very first week, I gave you kind of an overview of where we're going to be going, the theme of this story. And the theme of the story, we looked at it in, in four different events or four different parts, and I want to just refresh your memory as we, as we come up and bring this to a culmination. Let, let me start here. We, the first event, and, and I'll kind of talk, talk from this side for just a few minutes. The first thought we talked about was creation itself. All right, God, uh, that is where God in the upper story created actually the lower story. He came down and he put all that we know as nature and creation into being. But the highlight, the pinnacle of creation was on the sixth day when he created man, when he put the human race into existence. Because the purpose was not just to have something walking around, but there was an, an opportunity for them to have a relationship, to him to have fellowship with he as their God. And so creation came with that. But the next event that we talked about in not only creation, because it said in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Powerful, but that's a, just there's so much involved with that. But the next event changed things, at least from our perspective. Because the next event was what we would call the fall. Because after the, in Genesis, whenever man created, God gave them a choice. One thing that he showed us from the very beginning is he did not create man to be a, to be a robot without, without the, to just love him because they have no other choice. There's no other options. He gave them the option, and that option was to follow me. I know what's best. Do what I've called you to do. He gave them that option. But it, to have a, a true option, there has to be another. And that other option was that the enemy came, Satan came, tempted them, said, listen, God's holding out on you. There's something better. And they bought into that option, and they disobeyed God, and they sinned. And so the fall of man, at least from our perspective, changes everything. The lower story now looks completely disarray. It looks like it's a, a complete mess. The lower story now enters pain and suffering and all of that that comes with it. And, and man is, is cast out of the garden. And everything seems to have changed. It's as if God's plan just was a failure, right? And in fact, Romans chapter 5 says that that carried on. Romans 5 says, centered in the world through one man and death through sin. And so in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. It passed down this legacy of sin. So lower story looks like it's a mess. However, remember, there's an upper story. God, even from the beginning, before the fall ever happened, God already had a plan in place to get the human race back. And that becomes the theme of the rest, or the majority of the rest of the scriptures. From Genesis 3 throughout, we have this plan of, and the third word that we use after the creation and the fall is this idea of redemption. The idea of God getting us back to himself. And so what we have this from, from the fall on is we have this unfolding story of God getting us back. And, and he, it comes to this plea, the people of Israel. He comes to a guy named Abraham who's going to be the, the father of these chosen people. But they weren't just chosen because God wanted to have a specific group say, oh, you're special. They were chosen specifically to be the vehicle in which the Redeemer is going to come. The Israelite people are going to be the one in which God will bring the redemption that he knows the human race needs. And he's going to bring them through his children. So what we saw unfolding in the Old Testament was uh, over and over again, the enemy's trying to take God's plan out. 
The enemy's trying to destroy God's plan. The enemy's trying to say, uh, trying to either, if he can't take the people out themselves to make them ineffective, to make them, and, and so he brings idolatry and sin, and you have this whole story unfolding of, of how, and, and yet what we see is God's plan is still in, in motion. And there's always a remnant. There's always a way in which God works. The end of the Old Testament ends with the, the nation of Israel there, but they seem to be almost a non-entity. Just how can they be anything? And that's when the story begins to change in the New Testament. Because in the early part of the New Testament, we have someone introduced as Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, back here in, this, in the Old Testament story, one of the things God did is he had them make a tabernacle, which means I want to have my dwelling with you. God's plan had always been to be in relationship with man. And then somewhere along in here, there was a, a, a picture of a, a lamb that was sacrificed to cover. And so you have these pictures being presented, and then Jesus comes onto the scene. And in fact, one of the words that Jesus said is, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to be the redemption. Jesus shows, I am, he was said, introduced as, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus comes, and, and even in, in his death and crucifixion, it looks like the story is done, but in, in three days when he comes out of the grave, God's story is still at work. The upper story is still in place. God introduces the church, that's us, who are now alive. And, and so here's something I, I want to encourage you. If, you. if you use your smartphone and you want an, an app, this would be an interesting app. You'll see it on the screen. It's called Share the Story. And it has, it has these icons just to help you remember that God started with creation. We have now the story of Israel, the story of Jesus, and this is where we are, the story of the church. And all this is part of God's redemption to get us back, to get the human race back. But on the far end is where we come to today. At the end of the Revelation, there was one part that in this story that has, and it's called, you can call it the new garden. The word that we used was creation, the fall, the redemption, and then the restoration. The idea that in God's plan, God was moving all of this, and even though in the lower story it looked like it was a mess, God's plan never stopped. And that's when we come to the book of Revelation today, and it's a verse you've already seen on the screen. I'll, I'll say it to you again. It's Revelation chapter number 20, uh, 21 and verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The, the heaven that God created in the beginning, now we have a new heaven and a new earth. What, what I love about the scriptures and what we've seen in this story is this, that it goes completely around. It brings us right back to where God had started from. It restored the original with some tweaks. And we'll talk about some of those tweaks today. It's how God restored this back to exactly his original intent, being able to have this relationship with man. And it went through this process. And that's the plan of the story. From Genesis to Revelation, it's not just stories. It is the story of how God, through his marvelous work, has, has brought an opportunity for man to be redeemed and ultimately where it comes to this restoration of a new heaven and a new earth. And in fact, that new heaven, new earth, that's not the first time it's mentioned. Isaiah talks about it. The book of Psalms talks about it. Second Peter talks about it. This is a, a, a point that where God is showing us that there is coming a day when this will come to exactly how I brought it, to, I, I had it come to pass. Let me just take a minute, though. I, I want to share. I asked you last week or challenged some of you if you wanted to read the first couple chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation just to kind of see how God ties all this together from beginning to end. Let me give you some ideas of what that looks like. In, for instance, in the beginning God, that's Genesis 1-1. 
You go to Revelation 21.6, and Jesus says, I am the beginning, right? Genesis 1.1 goes on to say, and God created the heavens and the earth, and now we already read 21.1, and there is a new heaven and a new earth. If you look in your, a study Bible or something, you'll find a whole list. Let me give you a few more just to show you what I'm talking about. So chapter 1, verse 3 of Genesis, let there be light. The end of Revelation, God is the one who gives us light. He is the light, right? Uh, Genesis 1-5, the darkness he called night. Je- uh, Revelation 21, there will be no more night. There will be no more darkness. The waters he called seas in Genesis 1-10, there will no longer be any sea. Revelation 21-10. And then in Genesis, we have this tree of life that's mentioned. But when man sins, it actually becomes guarded because God, rather than let us eat from this tree and eternally have no hope, he guarded the tree so it wouldn't be eaten up. Well, in the book of Revelation 22, the tree of life is back again, but this time for all who are there, there's unrestricted access. The the tree of life is for free to all to eat. It's God has put it there, and for all eternity, that tree becomes that important. That's, That's what God has shown us from beginning to end. This wasn't just random. This had a purpose, and it was all leading to something, this new heaven and new earth, this this restoration that God has in mind, which takes us to a key verse. In fact, if you're memorizing verses this month, I would have challenged you to do this. Revelation 21.5. Listen to what uh, John said. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Think about that last phrase. I am making everything new. That's going to become our theme for today. In with the new. The idea of everything being made new. Literally, times they are changing is, is the best, one of the best ways you could think about that. Okay, let me just stop, let you breathe for a minute. I've already given you a lot of information. Um, but as I was thinking of this, a cartoon came to my mind that one of our members shared with me several months ago, and I had been waiting for the appropriate time to share it. So one on the, on the left. I have a birdhouse in my backyard. Does that count as a Twitter feed? Okay, I just wanted to share that because sometimes new things bother us, right? Sometimes we're having trouble with some of the new technology. The one on the right is the one that got me. If you're under the age of probably 30, you may not have ever seen some of these objects, right? There's an actual map with pages. You know, Google didn't make it, okay? There's a phone book. That's a very interesting thing that some people have never seen before. A phonograph, a, a record player. How many have ever had a car that had the turn, the turn thing to open your windows? How many still have one of those? Okay, there's a couple of you, all right. Okay, some of you have no idea. That's actually, the windows actually went up and down with that. Remember those? Here's the thing. If you didn't use one of those, you can't fully appreciate the newness of our technology, right? Okay, now, think about this for me. Everything is new. He is making everything new. It's going to take this technology and blow it out of the doors. He makes everything new. And that's where we come to at this, in this juncture in, in the book of Revelation. Now, there is significant discussion about the new heaven and new earth, about whether the old earth is completely uh, burned up and gone away, and then this, a new one is created out of nothing. Or the other option is it will be burned, but it's more of a purifying, and it comes back in recognizable form with some major differences, such as there's no sea, there's no night, there's some differences. The, the discussion, in my opinion, is not as important as what happens. He says, and in, when it comes back, everything will be new, will be fresh, will be un, 
unadulterated, will not have any issues. It'll be, if you can understand or try to understand, it'll be perpetually new. There won't be any entropy. There won't be anything that deteriorates. There won't be anything getting older. There won't be anything going away. It is new, and the word literally means I am making all things new. It's a progressive word. It means I am, it will be a continual perpetuating newness. It won't be like, oh, that was new, and and then tomorrow you're bored with it. it it's this constant idea of fresh and new. It, it, try to think if you can imagine. Uh, there's probably been some time in your life when you're sitting at an event or something, it's, you've happened and you go, boy, it just doesn't get any better than this, right? I, I, I remember one time I said that literally holding my granddaughter in my arms, right? And just saying, wow, I just, it doesn't get any better than this. Maybe you've experienced that, or maybe, maybe it's just one of those mornings, you know, you got a cup of coffee out on a deck overlooking a beautiful mountain scenery or something, and you go, whoo, just doesn't get any better than this. Or you, cro- you come up over the, the thing on the side, you see the Grand Canyon or something, and you just overcome. Just try to imagine, I'm making everything new. I didn't get any better than this. Oh, but it does. <laughs> And that's what we want to talk about today. It, it will get better than this. And in fact, there's this ongoing, the sense that this is new and beyond anything you've ever imagined. And it will be something that Jesus tells us in these final chapters of Revelation, something that we have, that followers of Christ had to look forward to. And that's what we want to come to today. One thing about Revelation we've talked about is uh, the book sometimes is still, I'm sure there's questions, maybe a little bit of confusion about where it goes. But here's what I want you to remember. There is an actual outline of the book, and we shared that with you. Chapter 1 and verse number 19, John is told to write about the things he has seen, write about the things that are now, and the things that will take place later, okay? The things that he has seen, the vision, the Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the things that are now, that's the churches, that's the time in which John was living, and we still are living in that particular time. This is still looking forward to when Jesus is coming. And the things that will take place later, well, that's the majority of the book of Revelation. It's a futuristic, it's a book of prophecy, it's a book of what, in John's day when he wrote it, it hadn't happened yet. And it still hasn't happened yet. From chapter 4 to 22 basically is a, is a look at the future. So as we come to chapter 21, which we're going to be at today, we begin to wrap up this, this book and this, this particular series. Understand that that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a reality that just hasn't happened yet, a future that is out there. And, and one of the things that we notice is new heavens and new earth. That's one of the words that he uses. Um, we, we know that this is things that he has looked forward to. But here's the next phrase that I want you to get. The next verse, John goes on to say, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The, the tribulation's over, the church's age is over, the millennium is done, the great white throne is finished, and now as the new heavens and new earth coming down upon this new heaven and new earth is this, this city, referred to as a holy city, coming down as a bride adorned or dressed for her husband. That, that's such a powerful picture. I've shared this with you before, but that, that picture of a bride adorned for her husband, I've had the privilege of doing several marriages or several weddings in, in my time as a minister, and one of my favorite things to do is when I see the bride turn the corner and she starts to walk down the aisle, I turn and look at the groom because there's something about his face just lights up. 
There's just something about, because here, here this bride, the, the, this spectacular moment, it's just like she dazzles, and you can just see it in his eyes. And, I lo- and that's the picture. As John looks up, he sees this city coming down, and it's all its beauty and all its glory as a bride adorned for her husband. And, and he sees this beautiful picture, and, and that's the city that God has, wants us to see. John's going to try to put it in words that we understand, and what we're going to find out is they, they can't even begin to describe the magnificence and the beauty of what John saw and the things that we have to look forward to. But, but I want you to, to think about this. There are some people who say, well, this is just a metaphor. This is just symbolism of, of you know, great things to come. And, and granted, it is beyond what we can imagine. But there's no reason to think that this is not also a very literal picture, a literal place, a literal city that God is going to set down on top of his new heaven and new earth. There's a couple of reasons. Some of the words that we'll read in a moment just describe it very literally. But if you'll remember back, Jesus said something. John chapter 14, I'll remind you, verse number 2, he said, My father's house has many rooms. Your version may say mansions or dwelling places. He said, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And he said, and if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That word place is interesting. It's what we think. It's, it's where we get our word topography from. It's the idea of a, of a location, a, an address, a, somewhere you could go to. He's talking about I am going to prepare a, a place, a place for you to enjoy, and we know this to be throughout eternity. So this city, I believe, to be has all kinds of symbols and images, but very literally, this is a city that God has in mind for those who are going to, as we see, enjoy these final chapters of the book of Revelation. It's, it's a location. So a beautiful city, reality. But, but I want to, as we wrap up not only Revelation, but we wrap up the story, I want to grab in these final pictures some, some overall overarching lessons, some things that we can learn, some things that it does teach us. It is a literal place, but there's some things about this as we wrap this up that I think we can know that the whole story has been trying to tell us. And it's just leading up to this culmination, and we see it in this beautiful city prepared for those who know Christ. I'm going to give you three thoughts. First one is this. In this city or in this, this place, as, as things come up, God has room for us or space for us, however you want to put that. Of course, the city's beautiful. I, I don't ever, I can't get past that. You know, streets of gold, uh, walls with, with all kinds of precious jewels, gates, literally, you know, when, when Grandma Betsy said pearly gates, that wasn't just a funny word. They, they literally are gates of pearl. I mean, this is something just beyond our imagination, I think, are real, and there's something we'll be able to. So the beauty is amazing, but there's something about the fact that God created this city to come down and create it for his bride, for his followers, but the size is just something beyond our imagination, the room. See, we have issues with size and, and, and how things are we going to have room enough for this? And, and, and things seem to be cramped, and we seem to be running out. All of the, we have issues with that, but, but God sees things differently. And, and God, I think, it shows us in this, just in this city itself, besides the new heaven and new earth and the beauty, just, just a picture of this. I always go back even to creation. Because we asked this question, I think, when we were there, about why did God make the universe? I mean, this, well, if, it, if it was about us on this earth and he had this plan, what was the purpose of this huge expanse that we still are investigating and finding bigger places for? And, and one reason is just so we would say, wow, God, I mean, just be in awe 
of how big it is, but just think, if, if, if that just helps us understand that space means nothing to God, that there is always room, there's always space. So listen to how he describes this city. Back in chapter 20, uh, 21, John talks about an angel with a measuring rod of gold, starting in verse 15. And he measured the city, and it was as long as it was, as it was uh, wide. And it had, he found it was 12,000 stadia, which in, in modern terms is somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide. It had, a, it had the, the walls around it were 144 cubits, which is about 216 feet. So we're talking space here. Let me see if I can just help you put this in perspective. Just the, just the city alone, not counting all the rest of the heaven and the earth, just the city that he's built for us. Try to wrap your mind around this size. The, 12, you know, the 14 to 1,500 miles squared, if, that's, if we're just talking that, side, wide, and length, is approximately 7.4 million feet, or somewhere in the neighborhood of 54 quadrillion square feet in this area. It would stretch, if you, if you were to plop this down in the middle of the United States, just to give you perspective, it would stretch somewhere from the Appalachians to California and from Canada to Mexico. It's 40 times larger than the nation of England, and it's bigger than the country of India. Okay, just trying to give you some pictures. But, but don't forget, this is just the ground floor. Because it also says it's 14 to 1,500 miles high. So it gives it in this cube fashion, or some even think maybe a pyramid, but however you want to look at it, it, it has a height of 14 to 1,500 miles. So let's just, let's just imagine, just for a second, that God takes this, this um, quadrillions of square miles, and he, and he stacks it. He puts it into a, a form. And even if the ceilings or the, the height was 20 feet apiece, you would have 400,000 stories, all of them 40 times the size of England. You say, man, those numbers are just crazy. They are. Here's what I want you to understand. In God's, there's always room for us. There's always space. Do you remember the first time in your life when you realized there wasn't space for you? Maybe there wasn't room on that team. Maybe you had to share a bedroom. Maybe the person that, that you wanted to have a part of your life didn't have the time or space for you, couldn't put you. You remember some of those times when it just didn't seem like life had the space and room that you needed. God just makes it clear in just these gargantuan ways that he always has room. There's, there's room, there is space for us. And not just in the size itself, but even in the way he provides for us. If you keep on reading in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 22, he talks about the angel coming to the river of the water of life. And on each side of the river stood a tree, the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Again, sometimes in life we're worried about if we're going to have the next check, if we're going to have enough to provide. And God says, now not only do we have one tree of life, we have trees of life lining the river on both sides. And each month they have different fruit. And it's just this constant perpetual provision that God says will, he will always have the room and the space for us. Man, what a picture of heaven, that God has room for us as we're there. Now, I had two friends in New York that, that are still to this day arguing over the fact of whether there'll be meat in heaven. One was a vegetarian, one was not, by, by any means. Of, and they fought, they almost came to blows one Sunday over the fact of whether there'll be meat in heaven. I'll let you guys think through the theology of that, okay? You just use your own brains and think through that. But here's what I know. What God provides will be room and enough 
for all of us that are there. He has room. He has space for us. But let's keep walking through this city. Not only does God have space or room for us, God has grace for us. That's been the story from the beginning of the story, and he continues it into this picture of this new city. And here's something I wanted you to see. Maybe you would have missed it because I did for a long time. But as you read kind of the description, chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, he talks about there will be 12 gates on this city. And on each one of the gates is written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he goes on and says, and there are 12 foundation stones around the city. And on each of these are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Both of those are very austere lists of men from the Scriptures. And if you remember, we've heard that, those names from the beginning to the end of this. We've heard those names brought out. Those 12, the, the 12 tribes, those are the 12 sons of Jacob, who, who was the grandson of Abraham, where all of the, this redemption story started through his, his lineage, his 12 sons. And, and they're going to be the ones that through them will come the Messiah. That's God's plan. So these, those are important names from the Old Testament. Then, of course, we have the 12 uh, close disciples of Jesus that followed him and that, uh, that became the, the start of the early church, the, these men and what God was going to do to their lives. So these are very important, famous, famous names within the Scriptures. But here's what I want us to do today. I want to just think about these men a moment. Some of these names. Let me just throw out a couple. You, you might walk through Gate Simeon or Gate Levi of the city. Those were two of the sons of Jacob. Story of Simeon and Levi back in the book of Genesis. Simeon and Levi conspired and tricked a, a whole town full of men. They were doing it in revenge for their sister, and they tricked a whole town full of men to uh, uh, put themselves under circumcision, and, and by doing so, they were weak and unable to fight, and they went in in that state, and they slaughtered the whole town of men. That's Simeon and Levi, and their names are going to be across the gates. There's another gate's going to have the gate Judah. Judah, boy, that's a big name in Scripture. Judah's also the same guy who mistook, he, he mistakenly saw his daughter-in-law, thought she was a prostitute, took her and had relations with her and ultimately impregnated her. And, and then you have all nine of the 12 guys tried to kill their younger brother and eventually sold him into slavery. Twelve of the apostles, okay, let's talk about some of those are good names, right? Peter, you know, Mr. Peter the Rock, who's the same guy who would rather save his skin than, than say he knew Jesus when he was about to be crucified. We have James and John who just hours before Jesus was crucified said, hey, will you make us VIPs in the kingdom? Forgetting what Jesus was going through. We have Thomas who didn't trust anybody. We got Matthew who was considered a, a wicked tax collector sinner. Okay, my point is not to bash these guys, but do you see something? Do you see a trend here? That those names on the gates, those names on the foundation stones, and every person that will occupy the city is not doing so because they deserve it, because they earned it. If, if your name is on those gates, your name is on the foundation stones, or your body is present within that city, it's because of one word only, and that's grace. The grace of God is why we will be in that city. You'll not be able to stay, I'm there because I deserved it. None of those, you're going to walk through some gates and you're going to think, how in the world because of the grace of God? You're going to see some names and wonder how, because of the grace of God. This city becomes a living, a eternal testimony of the grace of Almighty God. 
And that's been the story through the scriptures, been the story through the story, is that God's grace, time and time again, gave to people things they did not deserve, including ultimately the opportunity to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's only through grace. In fact, here's how Paul describes us. I want you to read this. Ephesians chapter number 2. He said, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order, notice this, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Throughout eternity, each one of us that are there become a forever testimony that God had grace on us. And he gave us a gift of that grace. And that city becomes a symbol of that. If you keep on reading in chapter 22 and verse 3, you'll you'll notice just how huge this becomes. Verse number 3 starts off this way. And no longer in this city, in this new heaven and new earth, in this new act, no longer will there be any curse. That's a huge term. You see, the curse happened very early. We talked about it clear back at the beginning in the third chapter of Genesis. Because before the curse happened, Adam and Eve had this, best we can understand, a walking, talking relationship with God, walking with him in the cool of the day. They had what they were intended to have, and then they, they disregarded God's law, regarded God's will. They felt, they, they sinned, they disobeyed him. That, and, and with that, immediately something changed. And if you go back to Genesis 3, 9, here's what it said. God asked Adam, where are you? Adam said, well, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Something's different now. Before, they were walking with God in this open relationship. Now they're afraid. Now they're hiding. Now they're ashamed. They feel guilt. None of those things. What happened? Sin happened. Sin came, and it changed the landscape of this lower story. And with that curse, you go on and read, and there also came a curse upon upon nature. And so every weed, every thorn, every thistle, every issue, every sorrow, every pain, from the pain of childbirth to the pain of seeing someone you love suffer, all of the sorrow, everything is part of what was known as the curse. Ultimately, leading to this, chapter 3 and verse 19 of Genesis God said to Adam and Eve, you will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ultimate part of the curse is death. Every baby born into this earth has an expiration date. Every one of us in this room came with an expiration date. There is a date in which, on this earth, these lives will end. Sometimes they come a lot earlier than we ever think they should. And sometimes they come, it seems to be almost natural courses, but the point is this. Every one of us has, is, is, is temporary because of the curse. So when we come to this city, and because of the grace of God that is, that has come over those who are inhabitants of the city, because of God's grace, chapter 22 and verse 3, there is no longer any curse. Can you We can't even imagine that, can we? Can you imagine absolute peace, absolute love, absolutely no sorrow, absolutely no pain, no suffering? Because why? Because the curse 
does not exist in the new heavens and the new earth. This new city comes and there is absolutely no curse. In fact, if we keep reading in chapter 22, He says, and the throne of the God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and and his name will be on their foreheads. It's now back to where God had designed it without the curse, and they now are able to see him. They're able to see him face to face. His name is, is, is on their foreheads. It's a matter of, it's been restored. It's been put back to the intent, but this time there is absolutely no curse. Why? How? Because God is making everything new. Out with the old. Out with the old pain. Out with the old pain of sickness and cancer. Out with the old uh, issues of of broken relationships and and the issues of of poverty and the issues of foreclosures and the issues of of stress and all that we face. Out, Out with the old. There's no longer any curse. God is making everything new. Before we we wrap this up, I just want to give you one more contrast, Old Testament, New Testament. Here's how the Old Testament ends. The last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse number 6, reads this way. He says, lest I come and strike the earth with a what? With a curse. Your, Your translation may say, destruction, right? That's how the Old Testament ends. It ends with a curse. Well, now through the New Testament, and Jesus brings, brings to the full picture the redemption that is through him and his death, burial, and resurrection. And now as we come to the end and everything is restored and there is no longer any curse, and now when you come to the end of the Bible, the last verse of the Bible, the last words that God wants, wanted us to know from his scriptures, and here's how it reads, Revelation twenty two twenty one: the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. It started with God's intent. Man brings upon a curse, but God's Bible ends with grace. God has room for us. God has grace for us. He has a gift available to us, which brings me to the last thought. The city's in these last chapters show us that God has an offer, has an opportunity, has a call, however you want to look at it. He has, a, he has an offer for us. As he brings this book to a close, he, he, I think, makes it very clear what the purpose was in writing this story. He's shown us the, the theme of all, all it's bringing to conclusion, and now he says, now that you've seen it, you've seen the entirety of the story, you've seen where, I'm, where I've come. In fact, this is how he, he reads it, chapter 21, verse 5. Um, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. He goes on to say, and write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. The story is complete. I've told you what you need to have seen. I've told you what I, what I intended this for, shown you how you've fallen. I've shown you the redemption that has come through Jesus Christ. I've now shown you how I'm going to restore it eventually back. It is done. It's complete. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now notice what he does. And he said, and to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. With this end of the story, he says, now, let me show you why. There is an offer involved with this. 
I, I, I know that there are those out there that are thirsty, that are wondering, that, are, that, need, that know there's something missing, that have some. And he said, and I know you're there, and I'm telling you the story. This is why you're there. This is the story tells us how we got to this condition. But let me tell you, there is a way for that to be taken care of. It, it's very familiar to what he said in John 7. Jesus said this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If you're thirsty, then I have the answer. If you're missing something, you'll find it in Jesus. What, where you find the need, you'll find the answer in Jesus. So as this book now comes to an end, and we go to chapter 22 and verse 17, look what he says. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. He says, let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus, God is telling us, listen, I told you the story. This is how you got here now. Here's the answer. Come to Jesus. It's all, the, the answer is in Jesus. From him you'll find the water of life. In him, all the things you're looking for and all the ways you're trying to fulfill everything you're looking for, you're all trying to fill all the holes, you'll find it in Jesus. Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The church says, come. Here's how he describes those who have accepted this offer. This is what it looks like. He said, blessed, verse 14 of chapter 22, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. They may go through the gates into the city. Again, the issue is we have sin. Sin is is our universal problem. That's why our robes are filthy or dirty. But the blood of Jesus Christ, the the Lamb of God, will cleanse, wash away our sins, wash our robes white. And blessed are those who've had their robes washed. Blessed are those who've received Jesus. Blessed are those who have come to Jesus. We all have the same issue, and the answer is still the same, and it's Jesus. And those who have come, he said, your robes are clean. But here's what I, I want to make sure you understand. In these last two chapters, once again, he pulls out two very specific warnings. Because what he wants us to know in these last two chapters is this is what, to come to Jesus, this is the answer, but not everyone will be able to experience it. As we said last week, heaven is not our default destination. Sin has interrupted that that opportunity. And, And here's how he describes it. You keep on reading in chapter 22, The next verse, he says, yes, those who robes are clean, but verse 15 said, but outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And and dogs there is not referring to the four-legged creatures. We don't know if dogs go to heaven. We'll talk to God about that. These are talking about a, a group of Philippians probably talking about the religious or those that, that are, are trying to destroy what God has. But here's the point. He said there are those who have their robes washed. They're going to enjoy the city, but there are some that were not going to be there. Outside are these, and he gives a list. You go back to chapter 21. In these last two chapters, he also makes it again. It's the same comparison. He said, those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God. They will be my children. That's fantastic. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, if you look at that and say, well, does that mean if I've ever committed any of those things that I have no hope that, that the second, that's what I have to look forward to? What he's saying is, very literally, folks, every one of us have been guilty of one of these at some point. At some point, you weren't, you weren't believing. You had doubts. At some point, we've lied. 
At, at some point, some of us have had sexual immorality issues. We fall into this category. The point that he's saying is, remember, this: you're not there by what you've done or haven't done. You're there by God's grace. And that grace comes is when you come to Jesus and receive that. But if you haven't received that grace, you're already as good as guilty. You're there. You're, you have no place in this without the, 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 the place of Jesus Christ without coming to know him as your Savior. We're all in this place. But once again, he gives the offer. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. This is those where you'll be if you do not receive him. But if you'll come to Jesus, there's life, the water of life, the city. The, the, uh, the grace of God is available if you will come to Jesus. What an incredible offer. That's how the Bible ends. The Bible has given us the story and how we got here. And then he says, and for the last thought, let me just tell you this. If you'll come to me, all that, that I've said, this whole rest, restored new heaven and new earth, it's, it's yours future if you'll come to Jesus. The spirit and the bride say come. I, I think it's just necessary even to talk to us as believers. Sometimes this water of life, we know we have eternal life. We're going to enjoy that. I, I can't wait. That's great. But... But I believe the life that he has for us, the abundant life John talks about, is also available. But there are times in life when we forget the resource that we have. I, I find myself either just being so enamored by what's around me and, and worried about what's coming and, and trying to let other things fill that void that it's almost like I hear Jesus saying, are you thirsty? <laughs> you feel a little parched? You don't have to be. You, you, I, I've got... I've got this resource, or I get too busy and I just don't take a drink of it. I find myself as a believer not taking advantage of the water of life that is available. Here's what, here's what Jesus is telling us. Is this is what I have designed for you. The story tells us how we got here and where we're going. And then he says, and so now, here's the, here's the offer. Come to Jesus. Do you find yourself in that spot today in one way or the other? Find yourself missing, find your, something, find yourself in that place of, of this isn't where I know life needs to be or I have no answers. And I, or even as a believer, I'm finding myself just seemingly hungry or thirsty. Jesus said, listen, I, have, I told this story to tell you why you're here. Now let me give you an offer. Come to me. The spirit and the bride say, One of the last verses he, he gives us, chapter 22 and verse 7. And I want to kind of let us think about this. Lord, he said, look, he said, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. As we wrap up this journey through the story, I, again, I hope that this has just kind of reinvigorated your, your love for this word. But here's what he says. This book of Revelation is the only book that we know of that has given a specific blessing to those who read it and keep it. And so I know he's writing that for this book, but as you go on even to the next chapter, he seems to be encompassing, I believe, not just the book of Revelation, but the entirety of this story. That if you will take and you will let this be the water of your life and you will put this into your life and you'll let it, uh, you'll, you'll let it soak in and you'll allow this story to, to truly take over your life, it will change your life. It will have that kind of difference if you will not just read it but keep it. You'll let it become a part of who you are. You see, we, we talked about two, two stories. We talked about the upper story. That doesn't change. We talk about the lower story of where we live and in, in interact in life. But here's the story that we always have to come back to. And that's my story. 
And the reason it's on a mirror is for that very purpose, for you to look into the story of God's word and see yourself and what, does that, what should that mean to you. What have you learned today? What have you learned through this journey? What have you learned in any time you've opened the scriptures? How, what do you need to apply that God has said to you? You see, the key to all the story is aligning my story to God's story. It's seeing what God has in mind and saying, God, I know you, you're not done with my story yet. So I want to submit to follow you and to learn from you and to apply that truth so that, that my story becomes, be, aligns with what you have in mind for me. That's the point of why we open the Bible every week is how do I apply what God is saying? And that's a question I have for you. There might be somebody in this room today who has not yet received the gift of, of Jesus, the gift of life, the gift of eternal life. You, you've heard about it. Maybe you've been in church all of your life, but you've not taken that, that step across the line of faith to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. That could be your story today. Maybe you're a follower of Christ, and, and this word just now, you're starting to see how important it is, and God's saying, this, this will change what you do this week if you'll apply it. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe it's even just telling someone else who needs to know this story, telling me your story, telling them about the story, inviting them to hear the story, whatever it is. What is God using this to tell you? His story intersects with our story, and he says, now how, this, how will this affect, affect your story? Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want, I want to wrap this this day, this series, with just us focusing on that. How does my story now fit into what God has been saying? What does God want me to do with what he's heard, what he's said to me today? Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? Has there been a time when you did repent of your sins and you, you know that your robes have been washed because Jesus' blood has, has come and washed away the sins of your life? Has there been that time in your, in your experience? As a follower of Christ, is God just encouraging you in your walk, saying, just keep going because look, what, look what's coming? And maybe today was a day of encouragement and just a day to say thank you, or maybe a day to say, God, I, I want the word to be a more part of my life, or there's someone, what, what is God saying to you today? What's your personal take from God's story to you? Father, thank you for giving us this incredible story of your love and your grace and your plan. And Lord, I pray that it will forever change our lives. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here today without Jesus, that you're calling them right now, that they're realizing this is what they need and today would be the day they surrender their, their lives to you. Lord, that you would encourage Christians, remind them of what you have in store for them. Let them focus and set their, their hearts on, on the things above because, Lord, this is a glorious future that we have. But help us to live each day of this life taking of your water and replenishing our souls on a daily basis. So, God, I just pray that you'll speak your word in the way that people need to hear it today. And may our hearts be ready to respond.